Um, this is our sixth week in the series, Prayers of the Heart, from Psalms. And I can't tell you how many people have talked with me, sent me emails, just how blessed we are as a congregation going through the Psalms. And uh, I'm very thankful for that because that truly came out of my own prayer life, this idea that maybe we should be doing the Psalms together. And uh, it was confirmed by the Holy Spirit. I'm very thankful for that. And the word of God that's gone out from the different brothers who have preached, uh, God has ordained and anointed that. And I'm very thankful for that. And um, remember back to the first week when I was introducing it, um, we had this, this um, quote by Calvin, and you could put it up there. The Psalms are an anatomy of all the parts of our soul. An anatomy of all the parts of our soul. Everything that anyone can feel or experience in relation to God are in these prayers. And so we find that this might be the best place in Scripture for us to go as we're learning to pray and learning to pray to God as, as our brother danced today, that we want to grow close. We want to draw near. We want to be a people that knows how to draw close to God. And so we started out in Psalm 84. And in Psalm 84, we were praying out of the eternal perspective. Eric preached on this. That idea of anticipation and ecstasy. That sense in our soul of anticipation and the ecstasy of what we would get in anticipation. And then Psalm 103, praying our salvation. We saw the benefits that God had given us through his amazing grace. And these are something that can never be taken from us. So wake up soul and see these and remember them and let them encourage you. Then Psalm 51 was praying our guilt and shame, our guilt and shame, praying our guilt and shame because there was the power of forgiveness as we saw out of David's life and that we can be a forgiven people. And then Psalm 23, as Ed preached on that, praying our fears, praying our fears, the good shepherd. And then last week, as Mick preached from Psalm 73, praying our doubts, bringing our doubts to God, coming to him. So you can put that up for a second so people can see it. There you go. That's where we've gone. And notice that we've taken in different feelings, different emotions that we all experience. And so today we're going to be doing praying our troubles, praying our troubles. Now, before we read Psalm 143, I wanted to remind us of what Jesus said about troubles in the parable of the sower and the four soils out of Mark 4, verses 3 to 20. So if you could put that picture up, there it is, okay? There's, it's interesting because there's four soils. One, of course, there's nothing that happens. It's snatched away. But the two soils, the rocky soil and that that comes in among the thorns, there are different troubles that happen that move people away from God, not towards God. So there's persecution and affliction on the rocky soil. And as a result, people move away from God in their troubles rather than to God. And that's a particular soil. And then the one among the thorns there's this idea of the worries of life and the deceitfulness of riches and the desiring of different things. And it's that interacting with the world. And as that happens, 
people begin to walk away from God in their troubles and walk to the world. And that's that idea that rather than walking to God in troubles, we are walking away from God. And so Jesus was very clear on that. And so when we look at Psalm 143 with David, what we're seeing is someone who is actually going to show us how to take our troubles to the Lord. That's what we're going to see today. How do we take our troubles to the Lord? Now, before we get into Psalm 143, there is a backstory to this, okay? We know that David's life had a lot of troubles in it, starting with King Saul chasing him around and trying to kill him because he found out that he was the anointed future king, and Saul didn't want that to happen. And we know that he lived in caves and he ran for his life, and, and Saul sometimes would call him back, and it was crazy. But there was also more. There was some trouble of his own making, right? We went through the story of Bathsheba out of Psalm 51 and his sin. And there was trouble that came from that. But this particular psalm is in response to his own son, Absalom, wanting to take over the throne and kill his own father. That's the situation. Do you think there's some trouble going on in David's life at this point? His own son wants to kill him. And interestingly enough, you learn in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 10 to 14, is that this is the consequence of his sin with Bathsheba, because the Lord had said to him, this sin will raise up evil against you in your own household. This sin will raise up evil against you in your own household. And so here it comes to fruition to Absalom. And this is important for us to remember as we look at this, right? Not only the troubles of life that come to us is David praying, but he's also praying the troubles that were a consequence of his own sin. And we need to understand that, right? Because sometimes I think we could get into this idea, well, that consequence was my own sin, and that's sort of the way it was, and I, I can't bring it to God. No, we bring everything to God, all of our troubles to God, whether we were the ones responsible for it or something else was responsible for it. We bring everything to God. So now looking at that backstory, I want to read Psalm 143 as a whole. So you can read, uh, you can listen along with me as I read it. Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. The enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in the darkness like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, or I will be like those who go down to the pit. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord, for I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, Lord, preserve my life in your righteousness. Bring me out of trouble in your unfailing love. Silence my enemies. 
destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. So ends the reading of Psalm 143. As I've meditated on, prayed through this psalm, and I have done this over the years, but this week in particular, as I'm studying it and praying through it, I have been richly blessed, and I've learned many things from this psalm, and especially about praying my troubles to the Lord. And the way I've uh, chosen to present some of these truths to you this morning is a simple outline that I believe reflects key characteristics of this prayer and of all prayer. And then there's four characteristics. Hear me, answer me, teach me, and revive me. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So the first part of that is, hear me. And I'm going to read again verses 1 through 6 so we get a sense of this hearing, this idea of bringing our troubles to the Lord. Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. The enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in the darkness like those long dead So my spirit grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. Notice, first, the posture of prayer. It is humble desperation. It's humble desperation, a deep knowledge of a need for mercy to the only one who is able to help. God is the only one who is able to help. And so coming to God. Now, we live in a culture that has enjoyed prosperity, great technological advances. uh, And as a result, prayer many times is the last thing we sort of turn to, to handle our troubles, you know? It's if we're saying, has it come to that? I mean, really, has it come to that? i got to pray about this. I mean, really? Have you ever had that attitude? Has it come to that? And so we have to be looking at this. The reality is, is that we are desperate and needy from the day we were born until the day we die. I wake up desperate and needy, and I go to bed desperate and needy. That's what it says when it says we're poor in spirit. You know, we think we're desperate in a crisis situation, but we are desperate the moment we wake up. Think about that. Do you have the cure for death? Do you have the cure for evil in the world? When you step into the brokenness of this world, when you wake up in the morning and your mind is filled with anxieties and worries of all the things that are going on, We are a desperate people because we need God. He gives us the very breath we have to sustain each day. And the sooner we learn that we're so desperate, the more we're going to pray. Amen? The more we're going to pray. We are desperate people. There's nothing wrong with that. I love saying it. I'm a desperate person. There's nothing wrong with that. We live in a world where when you say that, and people are looking at you, oh my gosh, I don't want to be around them. They're always desperate. That's the way life is, right? It's the way it is. And so we, we have to notice that. We have to know that. When I know that, I'm going to God. 
So notice that as a desperate, humble man, David is bringing his troubles to God. Now, even though God knows David and our troubles, yet he wants us to express them to him because we're in relationship with him as a child coming to a father, a loving father, or coming to someone they respect and trust and love. That's, that's the idea here, is that we're coming to that person we love and trust, and it means that we can bring everything to them, right? It could be a life-threatening disease that's a trouble, or a need for a job, or dealing with a difficult person, or a sin that keeps us defeated, right? One of those patterned sins in our lives. It's everything in our life where there is trouble in us, we bring them to God. Everything, because he loves us. Mick last week was saying, hey, we bring our doubts to God. Yes, we do. And we bring our troubles to God. And we bring our fear to God. Right? And we bring our sin to God. We bring it all to God. Hallelujah. How amazing is that? That's our God. He wants it, he wants it all. So David... As he does this, he says, hear me, Lord, out of your character, your faithfulness and your righteousness, your your faithfulness, the covenant promises to care for me and protect me and your grace, that righteousness, which now we experience forgiveness. And as a result, Lord, don't judge me and thank you that you don't judge me because of your faithfulness and your righteousness, because I am a sinner deserving of judgment, always in need of grace. Can you say that about yourself? I am a sinner, always in need of grace. Hallelujah. I am a sinner, always in need of grace. I don't know. I don't need to go to Alcohol Anonymous to say that about myself. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But I am a sinner always in need of grace. And thank you for your faithfulness and your righteousness. And the enemy, of course, in this situation is Absalom. You know, we see enemy a lot in here, and, and there's words spoken about that. And sometimes we get like a little confused. Am I supposed to be praying that that enemy of mine at work, you know, they get crushed and whatever it is? And we know, like, Jesus has called us to love everybody, right? So, how do you make that happen, right? Well, Old Testament, we're talking about a different situation than the new. It's the age of the Spirit. It's the age of the cross. It's the age of the blood. But even in that, okay, when you look at enemy in the Psalms, you should be thinking about all those things that are trouble to you, but get deeper than that. Who instigated Absalom to go after his father? It's Satan. The world, the flesh, and the devil works, and he has wiles and schemes, and so the enemy is always the enemy. It's Satan. His goal is to take away David's faith and trust in God's goodness. And it is no different today. He wants to destroy our faith in God's goodness through our troubles. He wants to crush our hope. This is what Satan's goal is. He wants to make us faint. He wants us to be tired and weary and desperate and hopeless and lead us into the dark night of the soul and ultimately out of relationship with God because I can't be with God. He is not a good God if he allows this to happen to me. Remember the soils. 
Remember the soils. But here's what David does. He brings this all to God, and he's bringing it to him honestly. But he he then says, I remember your blessings. (laughs) Take Psalm 103 out and read it again. I remember your benefits. I remember the amazing grace. I remember what you have done. I remember the miracles. I remember the forgiveness and how you've taken people back. I remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I remember Joseph. I remember it all. And as I remember it, I'm coming to you. I'm spreading out my hands. And, and the idea of the spreading out my hands, it's like, you know, my, I love my grandchildren. And every once in a while, somebody falls and scrapes a knee, or they have a little fight with one another, and they come to pop. And as they come to pop, their hands are up like this. And they want me to pick them up. Maybe I'll kiss their boo-boo. Makes them feel better. Maybe they'll whisper in my ear, so-and-so's doing this to me. They want me to do something about it. But that's the idea here, right? That's the idea. That's how I'm coming to God. I'm coming with my hands. I'm coming to Him. And my Father is going to lift me up. And He's going to hear what I have to say. And that's that idea of what's going on here. Hear me. Hear me, God. And then he, then he throws in the thirsting, all right? So it's just like that idea of being so parched, and I'm needing some water, and I'm thirsting, Lord. I'm thirsting for you. I want to come to you. Hear me, God. Do you see that? That's where David is. Hear me and answer me. And so that's the next part. The first thing you need to know God wants us to bring our troubles to him, and we do it by saying, hear me, God. Amen? The second part is, answer me. Answer me. So it's verses 7 to 9. Answer me quickly, Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, or I will be like those who go down to the pit. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord, for I hide myself in you. And David's expressing the way we all feel at times, right, when we're dealing with troubles. They're not going away fast enough, God. It doesn't seem that God is hearing or answering And if God is answering, he's certainly not answering in the way I think he should. I'm sure that there are some people right now feeling one of those ways with things that are going on in our lives. We all struggle with this, right? This idea, God, why are you you not answering me? Lord, that is not the answer. I have a better plan for your answer. Right? Right? So David just lays it out there. Answer me quickly, Lord. Show me. Show me, Lord, yourself. You see, Lord, I'm flailing away here. My spirit is faint. I don't see what I would want to happen. Lord, there seems to be a no here. Uh, Or if there's a yes, I don't understand it. And I'm coming to you, Lord. I'm saying, please show me yourself. And what I'm really asking for and what David is asking for is this idea of insurance from the Holy Spirit that you're with me. That I know that you're with me in this, Lord. That, that I will not lose hope because I know you're with me in this and I can trust you. And even in the hard part of this, Lord, I can trust your plan is good. 
And as I was thinking about this and thinking about the last number of months in our life and, you know, when, when God says no and where do you go and, and certainly it, it, there's that temptation to just lose hope. To just lose hope and to think, God, what, what, is, what is God doing? In Dante's Inferno, you know, I thought about this, over the gate of hell is, is, is this, abandon hope. All you who enter. You see, this is what Satan wants. Abandon hope. But no, God assures me as I come to him, intimately speaking to me through the Holy Spirit. And then he follows that by saying, my faith is in you. It's as if he's trying to convince himself. I trust in you. He's proclaiming it. I trust in you. I trust in you. And sometimes we have to do it. Sometimes I have to say, I trust in you, I trust in you, I trust in you, I trust in you. I need to proclaim it. I need to get it out there. And I got to like, almost like yell it back into my heart. Because the battle is so intense. I need to trust you. I trust you, Lord. Proclaim it. David's proclaiming this. Bring me word. Bring me word. Would that be a scripture verse? It could be, but I don't think so. It's more that inward movement of the Holy Spirit that whispers in our minds and in our hearts, I am with you. I love you unconditionally. Nothing can separate you from my love. Nothing. I love Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors to him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah! Nothing! No trouble! No affliction can separate us. And the Spirit brings that to us. Answer. That's part of the answer. Show me then, Lord. Reveal to me your will. Reveal to me your wisdom in this situation, right? Reveal it to me. Paul prays in Colossians 1.9, Lord, give me spiritual understanding and a knowledge of your will that I might live a life worthy. Lord, I'm coming to you. You need to reveal it to me, Lord. I need your wisdom. Answer me with that, Lord. And then rescue me. See, he just has gone through it. You need to answer me in all these ways. Rescue me from my enemies. And this is David praying, deliver me from evil, Lord. Right out of the Lord's prayer, deliver me from evil. You're able. You have the power. So I hide myself in you. I surround myself with your heads of protection. For you are a stronghold. You are a fortress. You are a refuge. You are a shelter. You are a strong tower. You know, we have a dog named Bella, who's lived at our house. It was my son's dog, but my son moved in on a business plan and didn't move out for a couple years. 
So we had Bella and Duke, and then Duke had to go, all dogs go to heaven, Duke had to go to heaven. <laughs> and um, we had Bella. Now, Bella's a great dog. She'll, I mean, she loves kids, she has fun, but there's one thing about Bella. She has this nervous condition. And so if there's lightning or fireworks, forget about it. This dog is like insane. She starts going like that and breathing real heavy. And literally, if a fence is that high, she just leaps over it. You know, so we're in the house. No matter how high we put the fence, she leaps over it. And what does she want? She wants to hide herself. She like, she'll come where we are in the sofa and just get in the smallest spot so that she feels all around her this stuff. And sometimes when we come in when we weren't home and something like that happened, we couldn't find her. Maybe she was under our bed in a very tight place hiding herself. Or one time she was behind the washer machine. We couldn't find her. We thought she would, where happened to Bella? You know, we hear this washer machine going like that and she's coming out of it. But this is, this is the idea. This hiding myself in God because he delivers me from evil. You see, this is what he's talking about there. So we draw close. He reveals his wisdom. He rescues and we hide ourselves in him. But it doesn't end there, right? Not only do we hear, we answer, but then we have to say, Lord, teach me. You know, there's something in this that I also have to learn. Even in the midst of this trouble, you are working in my life and you're making more like Jesus. And I know Jesus suffered, Lord. And he was made perfect through his suffering. And this is so important because our our, our default mode is something like uh, Frank Sinatra saying, I'll do it my way. Yeah, that song? I'll do it my way. That's sort of our default mode. I'll do it my way. And I did it my way. And nothing happened good because I did it my way. Right? What's it like when you do it your way? Man, I've made a lot of messes doing it my way. How about you? No, I want to be able to do it God's way. As James says, we are not to just be hearers of the word. We're to be doers of the word. And it's the spirit that empowers us to do God's will. What might that be? Love our enemy? Oh, really? Love our enemy? Forgive someone who hurt us? But see, when we do God's will, we're stepping into his pleasure. We're stepping into his pleasure. It brings satisfaction and it brings a joy that's deeper than the impact of our troubles. And I know that some of you standing out there could give testimony to that. When I have walked in God's will, even when I was in trouble, where I was called to love somebody that, man... There is no way I can love this person. I want to kill this person. Lord, give me grace. And the next thing I know, I'm stepping into their lives and I'm helping them. And then I'm feeling the love of God. It's it's an amazing thing. And this is where he goes with this. He isn't just this idea of leaving my troubles behind, but it's this idea that I'm going to be changed in the midst of this. That God is working in my life and I'm going to walk and do his will. That's a tougher prayer, right? Wait a second, Lord. Take all that trouble away from me. But really? Yes, really. 
Because it doesn't stop here. If it stops here, it's incomplete. There has to be transformation that takes place. And many times through our troubles, more transformation takes place in our lives. And then the last piece of it is, revive me. He, he finally gets to a place where he's, he's now talking to God about reviving him. I mean, he's, been, he's in the pits. He's dis- depressed and hopeless. And, and now all of a sudden, he's at the end of this prayer. Now, of course, like Mick said last week, it doesn't necessarily mean this prayer was a five-minute prayer, right? This prayer could have took a year. There is a process that goes on here. Right? But we keep praying until God does this in us. This is what we do. Because we are desperate people. Revive me. For your name's sake, Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring me out of trouble. In your unfailing love, silence my enemies. Destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. And that word preserve there in the NIV, and also in the ESV, interestingly enough, means revive. So the word there really means revive my life. And revive is the word breath. And you remember that Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit on the disciples, and it brought a renewal in their lives. It brought vitality in their life. And and, and that's the thing here, right? Here's the question that's before you and me. Do we want survival or revival? What do we want in our lives? Do we want survival or revival? See, with God, life is not about survival. It's about revival. You know, some of the new words being used in education is that idea to thrive, to be resilient, even in the midst of all that's going on. And that's what this revival is. It's this idea that we thrive even in the midst of troubles because there's a life and a vitality in us as we go to God because we have a different perspective. We can actually look at things from something eternal and look backward rather than looking forward with no hope and no sense of what's going on. Hallelujah. See, the way David expresses himself in the beginning of this psalm is, it's all the, all the characteristics of our survival mode, right? Getting by, feeling overwhelmed with life and its circumstances, end the day weary, frustrated, defeated. See, that's, that's, that's survival living, right? Now, we all fall into that, right? Don't we all? Could you not amen? Oh, yeah, that's, I see myself just survive until the next day, just rolling along. See, but revival starts with the knowledge of God's unfailing love. See, it starts there. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. And it enables us to see where and how he's working. He will direct and empower us in the way we should walk. And as we do this, we're going to be transformed. Because when we're revived... We get God himself. You see, I think a lot of us who are preaching on this are going to come back to this piece. We get God. You get it? Do do you really get it? We get God. God who says, I love you. God who says, I'm with you. God who says, I'm your father. God who says, I'm going to take care of you. God who says, I sent my son Jesus and he died on a cross and he's resurrected. So now there's eternal life. This is the God that we get. Hallelujah. We hide ourselves in him. And as we get God, there is no circumstance, no situation that's impossible for God, who I am now with. Hallelujah. 
And when I have God, then my spirit is revived because I'm living out of the knowledge that no matter what happens, God is with me and loves me and his plan is good and that eventually one day I will walk with him face to face in heaven. Hallelujah. Now, can I live out of that? This is how we live out of that. God is not about survival. Christian brothers and sisters, the church is in survival mode and it needs to be in revival mode. And we are being overwhelmed by the troubles of this world. It needs to start with each one of us individually going to God with our troubles, having him hear us, beginning to see that answer. And then as that answer is coming and we're now in intimacy with the living God and he is revealing himself to us and he's delivering us from evil, I now say, Lord, teach me to walk. And when I begin to walk, I begin to do what? I begin to step in. And as I begin to step into the pleasure of God, there is revival that takes place in my heart because I'm doing the things of God. And as that revival takes place, all of a sudden there's a joy and there's a confidence and there's an ability to step in because I have God with me. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, I've seen this. I've seen it in my family over the last couple of months. I saw it in 2006 when I brought a team of maybe almost 50 people over to South Africa. And we were in the township of South Africa and we're we're getting ready to go into this place that we had heard that, you know, it was one of the worst and most evil places in the world where there was no law, um, you know, uh, where, where women being raped on the streets. I mean, this is what we hear. And we, we, the bus pulls up and we step into this little church building. And here are about 12 or 13 college students who are worshiping God with such enthusiasm and such vitality. And as we walk in the door, we're met by them. And they basically say, we have been praying for you guys for a couple months now and awaiting your return. And there was this unbelievable joy that was in them in the midst of like some of the worst situations that you would ever see. And, and here's, here's what my son said to me. So he was, he was college age then, and he, he was a bit rebellious like his father. And he said, Dad, now that is faith on display. That is real. That's authentic. Here are these people in the midst of all this that's going on, and yet they have joy, and they're celebrating, and it's as if they're walking with God themselves. And it really turned his life around, turned his faith around. And that's what God has called you and me to do. We're not to be survivalists. We don't go on the TV show Survival. We sing the song of revival in the way we live. Amen? And that's why we need to pray like this and pray like David did. And I have this last quote at the end there. You can do more than pray after you prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Let that sink in your mind a little bit, all right? You can do more than pray after you have prayed, 
but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. What is that really speaking about, right? It means that when I pray and walk out in the spirit, I'm now walking out in the power and wisdom of God. I'm now being compelled by the love of God. I now have God going with me. And so I can do all kinds of things in the name of the Lord. But if I haven't prayed, I go out and do it my way. My flesh and my wisdom doesn't get me too far. Amen. We pray. Hallelujah. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I'm so thankful for your word. I'm thankful for David's heart. I'm thankful for the expression oh, that has come to us in Psalm 143, Lord. I'm thankful that we are a people that you want to hear from us. So I pray that we would be a people who hear, that, that, that we know, Lord, that we can come and say, here are the troubles in our lives. And we can remember, Lord, the things that you have done. And that will move us to, Lord, answer us. Speak to our hearts as only you can. Show us your will. Rescue us, Lord God. And then, Lord, teach us to walk in your ways that we might be a people not living in survival, but revival. Do that with me. Do that with us. Do that with Bridge. Do that with your church around the world, Lord God, we pray. We thank you so much, Lord. We thank you that you show us, that you come to us, that we can cry out and we can say we're desperate and we can say we're sinners. And it's, it's a wonderful gift that we don't have to hide these things, that we don't need to live in guilt and shame, but we can bring it to you and know that we're forgiven and know that it's as far as the east is from the west and we can live out of amazing grace. Hallelujah. Help us to do that, Lord God, I pray. Thank you for your love and mercy, Jesus. Amen.